You can definitely hear that, right? Yeah. Let's go with this. All right. So um, actually, as our kids go out, reminds me to uh, mention uh, several of our children's ministry staff kind of got uh, hit by either quarantine or, um, well, mostly quarantine for family members, so be praying for them as well. I wanted to ask those kids, though, to let me know if they did their popcorn party. I think they have a popcorn party scheduled for today. Is it on? Do you know? I don't know. I know it's scheduled, but that was, uh, that was Matt and Dale's baby, so I'm not sure whether it's going to happen today. Parents, you'll have to just, you have to weather that storm, I guess, when you get home if it didn't happen this morning. So, hey, I want to update you on a couple things um, that are happening today that I really want to encourage you to take part in. Early On Thursday, you should have got an email. If you're part of the, the Centerpoint um, email group, which you should be, if you aren't, send an email to office at centerpointwv.org and become part of that because we trust that we can send information out that way and you'll get it. So on Thursday, you received an email from me. I think I've got a picture of this. Matt, if you could slap it up on the screen for me. Um, so you guys got an email that is pointing you in the direction of an online congregational meeting. Now, I know for a lot of you, are like that doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun, but it's very important. So you received a video link, a YouTube link that's about a 50-minute or so um, video where Pastor Steve and myself are talking about next year's budget. And I encourage you to take a look at that. There are things that are coming next year that we reveal during this time. And you can laugh at us on the screen all you want to. Okay, there we are, a nice little close-up. Um, but all that is leading to a meeting tonight. So we're having our first ever Zoom congregational meeting this evening. Now, this will be a, quite an experience for us. I want to encourage you at 6 o'clock tonight to click into the Zoom meeting. Again, if you did not get an email, you need to send us an email. We'll send you a link. If you've never done Zoom before, although I think probably most of you have, but if you haven't, all you have to do is take your mouse to the button, to the link, and click it, and it'll take you to join the Zoom meeting. You can be in your first Zoom meeting tonight. Why wouldn't that be exciting? So that's at 6 o'clock tonight. Um, any questions that we receive in the email, so if you email us a question before this evening, we will definitely answer those. There will be some opportunity this evening uh, for some interaction. But, you know, it's limited on those Zoom meetings. So, so if you want to ask questions tonight, that would be fine. But that's 6 o'clock. Now, there are, you also received an a email link to a ballot for the members to affirm the budget for 2021. So if you're a member, you should have got that link. Now, if you're not a member, and you should be, we encourage you to do that. Follow through and, and become part of our church. But for the membership, we do need you to affirm our budget, and you do that by ballot. You can do it. You know, this is so 2019, you know, a paper ballot. It's located back there on the table. You can fill this out, drop it in the offering basket, which is back there on that table as well, and that'll work. Or you can go online and do it through the email that came your way. But we encourage you to take part in this. Know what's happening um, with our church and 2020 was not just a challenging year for you in your personal life. It was a challenging year for the direction and leadership of Centerpoint Bible Church. And we talk about a lot of those things in our YouTube video. You can hear what, what things happened and, and how we had to handle those over the last uh, 10 months. 
Something else, I'll put another slide up here. I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the outside of the building in the evening, but you guys who put those lights did a great job, and I wanted to use this to remind you about the Christmas Eve service. We are doing a candlelight service, Lord willing, 5.30 and 7 o'clock here at the building on, on December 24th. We encourage you to come out. We encourage you to bring friends. Um, if you're joining us online, we encourage you to come out that night if you can, and let's what we'll do is we'll celebrate the birth of Jesus that night. And it's a, it's a neat service of just connection with other people and of worship uh, before the Lord. So I encourage you to, um, to be here for that time. Well, I also want to just let you know it's important you read the worship notes. We can't cover everything uh, in our announcement time, um, but there are important things there for you to be aware of. Well, it's time now for, for us to open up God's Word. It is my privilege, and it's an honor and um, one that any human is, is um, really insufficient for. And so let's take a moment and let's speak to the Lord about his word and about our hearts before him. So come with me in prayer. Father, we bow before you because you are great and good and we are your children. Lord, we, we want to hear from you today. We want you to do a miracle in our lives. Lord, we want you to do a miracle for those that are joining us online and speak to our hearts through Facebook. That requires a miracle. We want you to do a miracle today in this room and speak to our hearts through your word. That requires a miracle. Lord, we don't seek you on our own. That's not what we do. But when we are approaching you, it is evidence that you're drawing us to yourself. So do that now, Lord. Draw our hearts and our minds to you. And may we connect with you today through the truth of your word. The inspired word of God that you have given us and protected for us so that our minds can be enlightened, our hearts can be melted, and our will our will can be released to you. We want you to do this work in our lives. We ask you to do it now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there was a time in my life when I would regularly um, take groups of people on like extended backpacking trips. Um, I'll probably never do it again because I am now 50 and that's, you know, it gets a little tough to carry a 50 pound pack on your back when you're 50 years of age. But there was a time when I would do this about once a year and um, it was always a neat experience. You, know, you gather up a couple teenagers. Um, I was a youth pastor then and, and it would mostly be, be kids from my youth ministry, but I might even other help, help other youth pastors and so forth. But we'd gather up a group of, of teenage, usually boys, and we would load up packs and we would head out down the Shenandoah National Forest, or out on the Dolly Sods, or whatever it might be. And it was, always a, it was always a fascinating experience. And I would work hard to prepare for it. I mean, I would spend hours, you know, making lists and, and gathering up maps and, and have all kinds of equipment and get ready for the adventure. And I remember this one time, I don't know what year it was, and, and I don't know if anybody that's listening or here or online was there, maybe you remember it, but because there was a small group of us this one year, as I recall, I think there were five uh, teenage young men, myself and one other adult that went on this trip. And again, we were down in the Shenandoah National Forest, and I had maps, laminated maps. I had a compass. I had everything I needed, right? 
But as we're going along that particular trip, I was on a new trail I hadn't been on before, and sure enough, nobody else knew it, but I was lost. I didn't know where I was going. Now, I was on a trail, so I knew we would eventually get out, okay? We weren't going to be there for the rest of our lives. We would find a way out, but I was lost. I had a place that I wanted to get to to camp. I knew where we were going to land somewhere, and I was not next to a stream. It was going to be just a great place to spend the night, right? Set up camp and had all, all kinds of ideas. But we trekked on and on and on, and the daylight started to get scarce, and the group is getting tired, and I'm getting tired, and I'm getting cranky, and the group is getting cranky, and I'm hungry, and my feet hurt, and the pack is heavy. Oh, it was tough. And there was this young, one young man who was with us who, fortunately, he got the end of his rope before the rest of us because then we could take a break. So, so he, is just, he is just despondent. I mean, he is just overwhelmed with this, with this experience. And he, I remember he just sat down next to the trail. He just sits down, throws his pack off. He says, I can't go any farther. I can't keep going. And I'm thinking, oh, what are we going to do? You know, I mean, we can't leave you here. You've got to get up and keep going. He, he's just adamant. He's not, he can't go on, he's done. Well, now, this was not my finest moment, okay? So just, just bear with me, give me grace. I was tired, I wanted to camp, I wanted to sit down. So I'm like, man, we're going to keep going. If you want to sit here, that's fine. And so we took off. Now, I would have gone back to get him, okay? Don't throw anything at me. I would have. But I'm thinking in my mind, if I keep going, surely he'll get up and follow along. Well, he didn't. He sits there. So the adult staff guy who was with us, which, man, I'm thankful for him, because he, I guess he kept his wits about him. He goes back, back the trail, and now i got to stop because i got two people dragging behind. And I'm looking back at the trail, watching him. He just sits down next to the young man. He just sits there. They're having a conversation. I can't hear them. I'm separated by probably 100 yards, but I can see them in a the distance, and they're just, just talking and just sitting there. For probably five, ten minutes, they just sit there. I don't know what he said. I don't know what, I don't know what the, the adult said to the teenager. I don't know. Probably told him that we've got to keep going. Surely Pastor Lowell knows where he's going, right? Surely. There, there's going to be water ahead. There's going to be food ahead. There's going to be rest ahead. You've got to keep going. So finally, they both get up, and we finish the trail. We did survive, okay? We got out on, on time. We made it. You know, I, I want to start with that story today because you may feel like you're tired and you're overwhelmed and you want to just sit down. You may feel like that, but I want to show somebody in Scripture that definitely felt like that. That definitely felt like they were at the, the end of their rope. And they are surrounded by a group of people, the covenant people of God, who were in a similar position. And they just wanted to sit down and quit. You ever felt that way? Like you want to just sit down and quit. That's how the people of God felt during the song that we're going to look at today. Now, if you're just joining us, if you weren't here last week, you may not know this, but we've started a short series leading up to Christmas. And I'm calling it the Christmas Sermon Series, and it's about Christmas songs. Now, they aren't songs like, you know, Little Drummer Boy or whatever it might be. And they, they aren't even songs that necessarily were sung. But they're sections of Scripture 
that were poetic in nature. And they all revolve around the nativity, the coming of Christ, the Christmas season. Five different songs that we're going to look at. The first one was from Revelation chapter 5. And you know that that was an event that's going to happen in the future. We saw last week how it was really speaking of the coming of Jesus. Well, today we're going to go to a different song. It's located in the, in the Gospel of Luke. And I want to ask you to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 1. Go ahead and find that with me. And what we're going to, what we're going to be discussing today is, is how this passage reveals for us what it is that, that, that drives us to worship and how it is that even when things feel like they're going poorly, we can trust that our God is in control. We're in Luke chapter 1. We're going to jump in here at verse number 67. We're going to look at the, the words of a man named Zechariah. We'll talk about who he is in just a moment. We'll talk about the context of this song. We'll understand in a greater way why it is that he sung it. And we'll see that this was a time when Zachariah, Zachariah sang out with an overwhelming sense of joy and excitement over what God had done, over anticipation of what he was going to do. And my hope is that we would have a similar view of Christmas, that we would recognize that Christmas is a time to celebrate and to worship God. Let's read the passage, and then we'll break it down and understand what it means in its context. Verse number 67, and his father, Zechariah. Now, just, for, just to understand, his here is John the Baptist. This is the cousin of Jesus, the forerunner of Jesus, the man who was given the privilege to be a prophet of God who would come and prepare the way for Jesus to enter into the world, enter in whatever community he was going. John was always there right before him, preparing the way. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied and said, and just another, just another context moment, this is eight days after John the Baptist was born, probably a few months before Jesus the Christ was born. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And if we could watch Zechariah living this out right now, I believe he would look over at his eight-day-old son, who was just named John, who was proclaimed would be the forerunner of Jesus, and see what he said about his son. And you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, 
to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now that last verse alludes to the mindset of the world that John is being sent to. It's a world that's filled with people that are sitting in darkness, overwhelmed by their experience, overwhelmed by what we'll see in just a moment is silence of God, and facing the shadow of death, they sit down in darkness and give up hope. This is the world that Jesus invaded. A world that had given up on God, even though God had not given up on them. It's also very much like our world today. Does that not sound like the world that you and I live in? That people are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death, and they need someone to guide their feet into the way of peace. Oh, these words connect to our reality. But what I want us to do today is I want us to, I want to allow this passage to direct us in worship. I want us to understand that, that worship is what we are made for, and it's what Christmas is all about. Let me give you a definition of worship. It's on your worship notes. I think I also have it for the screen. We looked at it last week. We talked about it a little bit. We're going to deal with it every single time we come together as we lead up to the Christmas celebration. It's a definition of worship provided by a, a famous pastor who's now with the Lord named Warren Wearsby. And he said this. Now think about this definition. But first think about how you would define worship. Wearsby said this. Worship is the believer's response of all that they are. It's a believer's response to all that they are. The mind, the emotions, the will, the body. It's every part of you. Worship is your response. Worship isn't singing alone. Oh, sure, you can sing in worship. And I hope that you do. I hope that it's not just here on Sunday morning for 15, 20 minutes. I hope that, like me and many other believers, you often cry out to the Lord in worship, riding down the road, sitting at your house, singing songs of praise to God. But that's not all that it is. That's why this definition is so important for us. Because worship is my mind. It's my emotions. It's my will, what I want to do. And it's my body, what I do. And it's in response. Notice this. Wearsby points it out. It's in response to what God is. What he is like. Who he is. What is his character what he says, and what he has done. In reality, Christmas is not about decorations. And we got a bunch here, but it's not about decorations. It's not about presents or gifts. It's not about family. It's not about memories or reminiscing or any of that. That's not what it is. Christmas is about worshiping the coming king. It's about that Jesus came into a world that was dark, and broken, 
and honestly wanted nothing to do with him. And he invaded. He came to his own, though his own received him not. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be called children of God. And his children respond in worship. See, decorations can go away. Gifts can go away. Family can go away. I mean, Christmas this year, for you, may be very lonely. I don't know what's going to happen in our lives in the next two weeks. Certainly we are seeing in 2020 that we can't be that confident of what the future may hold. Newsflash, we never really could. God is in control and His ways are not our ways. The things that we connect to Christmas may not be here in your life. You never know. But Christmas is about worship. And Zechariah is going to help us to see that today. What I I hope will happen as as we walk through this poetic section of Scripture that we've already read in Luke chapter 1, and I know what happened. As I was reading it, your mind wandered because it's long, all right? It's long. And you say, well, maybe you call it a poem, but it doesn't rhyme, okay? So I don't hear the, you know, whatever a rhyme might be, rose are red, violets are blue, sugar sweet, so is you. I don't hear that. So my mind wandered. The reason why our mind wanders when when we read this is because we don't feel it the way Zachariah did. We don't feel it. So my hope is that we can feel this passage. We can feel what Zechariah felt when he uttered these words. See, I want us to feel the wonder of what God has done. I want, us, I want our emotions to respond to the facts of Christianity. To the facts of who Jesus is, I want our emotions to respond to that, our feelings to respond to that. So the only way I know to do that with this passage is i got to fill up the meaning. I'm not going to add anything to this passage because there's nothing worth adding. It is complete. So the way I'm going to fill it today is I'm going to fill it with the context I want us to understand the world of Zechariah when he uttered these words. It's like I'm painting a picture for you, okay? You know, Bob Ross up here painting a picture. You know, he could draw a cabin in the woods, but if you don't see the mountain in the background, it's not really not that special. See, I want to fill in the background. Jesus and his prophet, John the Baptist, they're the main characters, But the background is essential for us to feel this. So I want to fill in the context. Okay? Context is still key. And I would even suggest that in these poetic sections like this one, and you can recognize them, by the way, in 99% of your Bibles, you can recognize them by the indentation of the text. Now, that wasn't in the original Greek that's added by the translators to indicate to us that this is a section of poetry. That's what this is. And you can recognize, you can see in in chapter 1, verse number 46, there's another one. And this is the Song of Mary. We'll look at that one sometime in the future. But I want to fill in the meaning. So go, and you're you're in Luke, go all the way back to Luke chapter 1, verse number 5, and let's understand the context. You remember context from high school, right? Maybe? Maybe? 
You've got setting, you've got characters, you've got plot, you've got climax, you've got perspective, you've got tone, you've got all these things. Remember all that? Yeah, it's not a test. Don't worry. Well, let's talk through these things a little bit to bring meaning to what Zechariah said. So let's talk about, first of all, the context element of setting. Setting. Setting is about time and place. I'll deal with time in just a minute, but let's talk about the place. Notice it says in verse number 5, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. The place where this is happening is in Jerusalem, or at least Judah. Because Zechariah is a priest. This is what he does for a living. God has called him to serve as a priest. And he's supported, he supports his family in serving as a priest. Now what that means to us is he lives near Jerusalem. Because his whole life is centered around the temple. His whole life is around the temple and the worship that happens there. Now the priests were divided. This is a lot of detail. Just stay with me, okay? I promise you, you're going to get this, okay? The priests were divided into 24 divisions, all right? This is in the Old Testament. The law laid this out. 24 divisions. And so what happened is two times a year, your division will be called on duty, okay? 24, 12 months times two, get it? 24 divisions. So twice a year, your division is on duty. And it was Zechariah's division's time. So he's serving there in the temple. Now, this is a neat opportunity. Now, Zechariah is an old man. Tradition tells us that he was 60, 70 years of age. He's a very old man. He's a priest. And today he gets the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Once in a lifetime, this would happen to some. They would cast lots, similar to rolling dice, and allow the Lord's providence to declare what priest would get to do this special event on this day. And the lot fell to Zechariah. Again, this happens one time, if ever, in your life. Zechariah is chosen by lot, by the providence of God, to go into the temple area and to burn incense. Now that seems strange to us, I know, but let me explain to you what it means. He would burn incense. He would, he would light this, this, you know what incense is. It's a liquid that burns with a great deal of smoke. I think we've got a picture for you that an artist tried to render it to just give it an idea of what this would look like. Zechariah is there. He's, he's, he's burning this incense. The incense, by the way, it represented that even the priests now, even the priests were separate from God. The incense would burn up as smoke between them and the presence of God. So even the priests couldn't come into the presence of God. The priests would have to have this, this veil of smoke between him and the presence of God or he'd be struck dead. Now Zechariah is there and, and offering this incense as he's directed to, to do. Nobody else is in the room. It's just him and God. But then the angel of the Lord shows up, Gabriel, and speaks to Zechariah. Now, this is not a common occurrence. And he says to Zechariah that you are going to have a son. Now, Zechariah is an old man. And his wife, I know you're not supposed to say this, but she was a, let's just say she was along in years as well, okay? They're without children. They had lived 50, 60 years of disappointment every month 
they're disappointed. No sons. No children. The heartache reminder over and over again. But the angel Gabriel comes and says, you will have a son. You can read about it in Luke 1. Zechariah, he, he cannot or maybe will not believe this. This can't be. This is impossible. I am, I am old, so is my wife. This can't happen. Zechariah would not or could not believe the Word of God. And so God blessed him. God blessed him. And how does God bless us? Did God bless him with a new chariot or a, or a new camel or, or a new robe? No, no. God blessed him by striking him dumb for nine months at least. Dumb meaning, I don't mean lacking of intelligence, the inability to speak. He silenced him. So for nine months at least, Zechariah was unable to speak. Now his wife Elizabeth, who is the, the cousin of Mary, who is the mother of Jesus, is outside. See, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. They're excited to see what, what's Zechariah going to say. What's he going to talk about today at lunch when he comes home and he tells us about work? What's, what happened in there? What's going to happen? He was told they're going to have a son. He was told that God was going to do a miracle and give them a son. And this son was going to come to prepare the way for the Messiah. To come and, and unleash God on the world through his son. But Zechariah is speechless. He's silent. That's our character. Now, back to the time. This is probably, I mean, you can think of it around zero, okay? And, and you know, biblical scholars, they, they think that maybe Jesus was born about 3, 4, 5 B.C. The exact year is not as important as the 400 years prior to this. Now listen to this. Zechariah is a priest of God, a follower of Yahweh, a, a believer in, in the Lord and his words. But for 400 years, the sky had been silent. God had not spoken to his covenant people for 400 years. We've got to get into that to understand what Zechariah is going to express in song. We've got to understand what that means. We have to get there in our minds to grasp this. Understand that the, the covenant people of God, in about the year 1400, Moses came, I'm sorry, God came and spoke to Moses. Remember that? You can read about it in Exodus. The, the finger of God wrote on tablets of stone. And Moses brought the word of God directly from God to his people. And then for the next 1,000 years, now think about this, for 1,000 years, the covenant people of God had access to the word of God. God was speaking to them. 
He spoke to them through Moses and through Joshua and then through the judges who were men and women that God called to lead the nation of Israel. And he raised up three kings, Saul and David and Solomon. And these men were leading the nation of Israel as God's, as God's really representative. And then after Solomon passed away, about 930 B.C., God would raise up prophets. And these prophets would come and speak for God. And you can track through the history of the nation of Israel, and you will not find one generation, you will not find one generation of people who did not have access to a prophet of God. So there was never a, there was never a generation that could say, I haven't heard what God has said. God would raise up men like Jonah and Hosea and Jeremiah and Daniel and Isaiah, and these men would speak to his covenant people. And then it stopped. And God went silent. Now, the reason why that doesn't grab you like it should and me, because we can't understand this. Because we have the Spirit of God who has indwelt us. And so we can easily come into the presence of God and open up his word, and he speaks to us. I mean, not in an audible voice. I know that. But he uses his word to testify with our spirit that we are children of God. So we have easy access all the time, 24-7. If you're in Christ today, you have access to God all the time, all the time. So much so that we take it for granted, right? We take it for granted. And yeah, yeah, of course. I'm gonna, oh, sure, I'll read my Bible next week maybe. I mean, that's how we approach it. But that's in our indulgence of, of the indulgence of our, of our culture and of our, of our situation. We don't, we don't understand what Zechariah is going through, what the nation of Israel is going through. God had been silent. But then he speaks. So go with me to Luke chapter 1. Go over back to verse 67 if you turned away. The point of view of Zechariah, the, the tone or the perspective is he's longing to hear from God. He's longing for the presence of God. He's longing for the, the silence of heaven to end. The deafening silence to end. And God breaks in. And I want us to see today what it is that Zechariah worshiped the Lord over. So in that environment where, we, we, where, where Zechariah is experiencing the silence of God, what is it that he worships God over? Starts out in verse 67. See, what happened here is I already mentioned Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah, has a child. Miracle of all miracles. She has a child. When, when the child is born, Zechariah is still over here in the corner, silent, unable to speak. They say, what should, what should we name the child? Elizabeth says, his name is John. What, John? What kind of name is that? They look to Zechariah. Zechariah, you going to add anything to this? He can't speak. So he calls for something to write on, and he writes, John. The boy's name is John. That's his existence. Eight days later, as was the custom, they take John to be circumcised. And God breaks the silence. He breaks the silence 
of Zechariah's tongue. And he breaks the silence that the nation of Israel had been under. And Zechariah breaks out in song. He is overwhelmed with emotion. Verse 68, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Okay, the first thing that Zechariah is worshiping God over is that God has brought his word into the silence. The silence has ended. The silence has ended. God has spoken. That's what Christmas represents, folks. That the silence of God is over. That God has entered the world as a man. He came here through the prophetic word of John the Baptist and to Zechariah, but we can, we can celebrate today. You don't have to wonder what God is like. You don't have to contemplate what would God be like if he were a person. He did it. He came to the earth as a man. You can see what God is like. The silence has been broken. And Zechariah worships over that. He says he has visited. Don't you love that term? So God has come and visited Zechariah, and through the prophet John, he has visited his people. He has come to his creatures. Wonder of all wonders, God has stepped in. And oh, this meant so much to, to the nation of Israel, to those who were longing to hear from him. Now listen, many had forgotten God. Many had turned from God. They didn't think God was ever going to speak. But there were a few. Call them the remnant, if you'd like. There were some that were still longing to hear from God. You know, it's like, well, have you ever been out working in the yard, like, on a hot day? Like, for a long time? I mean, big yard, push mower, that was broken down last week so the grass is real high? It's July, okay? And you're out there just slaving away, pushing through the grass. Oh, it's so hot. You know, it's like 100 degrees outside. you got to mow the grass. It's so high, now you got to rake it. Nothing worse than raking grass. You rake up all the grass, you, put it, you, know, you get rid of it all, you got to run the weed eater, and you're out there for hours in the middle of Saturday afternoon. You come inside, you're like, honey, I'm so thirsty. She says, oh, come here. I just, made some, I just made a big old pitcher of sweet tea. And she grabs your favorite glass, throws some ice in there, fills it up, and you take that glass of sweet tea, and nothing tastes finer, right? My dad used to say, <laughs> the best food is the food that's eaten when a, on a heavily worked day. When you, when you are tired and overwhelmed, man, food and drink taste good. That's the world that they're in when God visits them. And he says he's redeemed his people. God has broken the silence because he, he visited his creatures and he's come to redeem them. We talked about redeemed last week, if you were with us. Redeemed is a slavery term. It means to buy back from slavery. To pay the price to free an individual. And this is not the slavery to some person or to some government or some, some owner of, of, of humans. No, this is slavery to sin. That God has come, that, that what, what Zechariah realizes is God is coming to redeem, to buy his people back from sin. 
pay the price of sin. Verse 69, it goes on here. And and what we're going to see here is that Zechariah now praises God because he's remembered his promises. Not only has he spoken into their life, he's broken the silence, but in 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 the loss of the silence, God is revealing to them that he's remembered his promises. And these promises meant the world to Zechariah. They don't mean much to us because we neglect the Old Testament. Because we're spoiled and we, we just have all kinds of the words. So we just, you know, it's not that big of a deal to us. We're not that hot. We're not that tired. So the sweet tea doesn't really taste that good. But to Zechariah, he'd been living in the Old Testament all of his life and longing for God to come. And notice what he points out. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He's remembering the promises that God made about David. That he would send one in the line of David. who would rule over the world as king. God's doing that now. He's broken the silence. Remembered his promise. 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. That we should be saved from our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us. God has remembered. And he's remembering his promise. And remembering that he sent prophets. And what did the prophets represent to the nation of Israel? The prophets meant to them that God was with them. Even though their leaders and their kings may abandon God, God was with them. God's remembering his promises to show mercy, 72, to show mercy promised to our fathers to remember his holy covenant that he, uh, that he, that the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Now God is reminded of the promise that he made to Abraham. So he made a promise He made a promise through David that a king would come. He showed them through the prophets that he was with them. This promise to Abraham that he would bless the world through them. God remembered his promises. This is what Christmas is. This is what it was for Zechariah. He's overwhelmed with emotion because God has spoken into the silence. Now let's flash forward 2,000 years just for a moment. We have the Word of God all the time. If you're a believer today, God's Spirit lives in you. So He's not silent. Do we treasure the Word of God? Do we treasure the person of Jesus and see that He became a man so we can see what God is like? fear for us. I fear that, you know, rather than sweet tea on a hot day, it's like we, we bathe in sweet tea, you know? It's like we've got it all the time, and so we just, we don't even think about it. We don't treasure it. Zechariah treasured the reality that God spoke into their lives. And God is speaking into your life through his word, maybe through these words right now, maybe. And God's spirit is speaking to your heart and saying, this is true. This is real. Respond today. Don't turn a deaf ear to the word of our God. That's not the only thing that Zechariah 
praise God over. It goes on. Verse number 76. Now notice here, as was already said, I believe at this point, Zechariah's gaze went from God up till 76. He's just been praising God. Now he looks to his son. Now we must remember, this son is not the Christ. This is simply John the Baptist. You can read about it in John chapter 1. He makes it very, very clear, crystal clear, that he is not the Messiah, that he is only the forerunner. He comes to prepare the way for the Messiah. And I would challenge you that what is said here about John the Baptist is equally true of you if you are a son or a daughter of God. Now look, let's see what, what, what Zechariah praises God over. If I was going to give it a title, and I did, I would say this. God has brought his light into the darkness. Into the darkness, God is bringing his light. Verse 76, and you, child... You will be called the prophet of the Most High. Now, I'm not a prophet, and neither are you. God has, God has closed the door on these, on these prophets. But this was the last of the prophets, a prophet of the Most High. He speaks on behalf of God. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. As you study the Gospels, you see John the Baptist doing this. Trace it through the Gospel of John. When Jesus goes into Samaria, guess who was there just prior to him? That's right, John the Baptist. John the Baptist had a ministry of preparing the way for Jesus. He would go into a land, he would tell people, repent over your sin. They'd be brokenhearted, and then the sin bearer would walk into their presence, and they would say, this is the Messiah. Oh, what a ministry he had. The greatest prophet coming to prepare the way for Jesus. He's bringing light into the darkness to prepare the way, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Now that is essential for us to get. John's coming to prepare the way, to shine the light that man's greatest problem would be solved. Man's greatest problem is not governmental. It's not societal. It's not economical. It's not a matter of not having enough education or enough opportunity or enough programs. No. That is not the solution that man is looking for because it doesn't address the problem. I mean, we all know this thing isn't working. Any thinking person can look around and see this world is not working. And you can set up all kind of programs and all kind of situations to try to create a world where it will work, but may, until you deal with man's problem, it's not going to work. What is man's problem? His estrangement from God. That's what it is. The separation that man has from God. His rebellion against God. His sin. That's what it is. And you intuitively know it. As a human, you know it. You know this world isn't working. And so all around us we see people grasping for ways to fix it. Here it is. Here it is. The forgiveness of their sins because of what? The tender mercy of God. The light is coming into the darkness and the light shines on Jesus. And what we learn in looking at Jesus is we should humbly fall before God, relying upon His tender mercies. 
and what Jesus did at the cross for us in dying in our place and thus paying the redemption price so that we are free from the slavery of sin. This is the answer. This is it. This is it. Zechariah is saying this to enslaved people. He doesn't mention Romans. People that were cursed by sickness doesn't mention a pandemic. People who were impoverished doesn't mention programs to fix it. The problem is sin. And that's what the light shines. And who does that light come to? Well, it's the same person that Jesus comes to. Jesus has come to to a group of people. I hope that you see yourself as fully qualified. They're described in verse 79. Look at it. To give light to those who sit in darkness. Remember my teenage hiker who sits down. I can't do it. I can't go on. Sits in darkness and in the shadow of death. Just leave me here, Pastor Lowe. Just let me die here. I can't go on. That's what he actually was saying. To guide our feet into the way of peace. Who does Jesus come to? People who are helpless and hopeless. That's who. I hope you're qualified. I hope you're fully qualified. Helpless and hopeless. Helpless are people that are sitting in darkness. They can't do anything about it. They don't know which way to turn. They don't know how to fix it. They got, they got, they got no resources to draw upon. They're sitting in darkness. And they're hopeless in the shadow of death. They know that there's nothing they can do. These are the people that Jesus has come to. To bring them peace. It's the people that God sends us to. Just like he sent John the Baptist to prepare the way. This is what Christmas is. This is what the light of heaven has come for people who are helpless and hopeless. And so we worship. A couple more, couple more things I just want to throw at you just, just to close up. I want, to end with this, I want to start the end with the same question that I started the end with last week. It's this. Is God impacting your whole person? That's what I want for us this Christmas. I want God to impact our whole person. Our mind enlightened, our heart melted, and our life released. That we'll allow all the things around us that have, that have sort of blocked out what we used to count as the value of Christmas. And all that stuff is getting pushed to the side. But that our minds would be challenged and enlightened by what God has done, which would melt our hearts. And then respond that we say, God, you are my king. Whatever you want. Second question, just you know, quickly. I want to ask you, do you remember? I mean, is, is it so far back you can't remember? Do you remember the helplessness of silence and the hopelessness of darkness? Do you remember that? Can, 
Can you go back that far and remember what it was? To not know that God wants to speak to you? Do you remember what it was to not know that God wants to bring you life? Let God enlighten that part of your heart so that your mind, so your heart will be melted. And then the last thing, I mean, honestly today, do you treasure the true light, Jesus? Do you treasure him? That's what, that's what I see from Zechariah's song. An overwhelming joy in treasuring the true light, which gives light to everyone. And it came into the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we're so tempted to take all that we have for granted. Lord, for those that know you today, there was a time when they were in darkness, they were in silence. Remind us of that moment, Lord, of that time in our life. For others, there was a time when they were trying to abandon you and run from you and they only gave you a deaf ear. And if they could, they would have put their hand in front of the light. They didn't want you in their life, Lord. Oh, but you chased us down. You waited for us until we came back to you. And then, Lord, for anybody here today that they have rejected you as the light, they have rejected your word, they have rejected your offer for a long time. They've sat there in the disillusionment of atheism or agnosticism or just rebellion against you. Oh God, may today be the day that hearts are truly melted, that there is repentance over sin and turning to Jesus and what you did at the cross. God, wherever we stand, whichever of those places we are at today, we call out for your grace. And Lord, as we move closer to the day we celebrate your invasion of this dark world. Fill up our hearts with worship, meaning our minds, our emotions, our will, our body, responding to all that you are, all that you said, and all that you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to thank you again for being here. You know, do, do yourself and other people a favor. As you leave here, interact with some people, okay? There are people that aren't getting to do that much through the week. So just say hi. It's a good practice. Um, and remember tonight, 6 o'clock, Zoom meeting. Love to have you join us for that, especially those who are members. With that, you are dismissed.